everyone. Welcome back to the Listen For Real podcast. I am so glad you're here and that you return. <laughs> that's the better That's the better part is that you return. And you are in for a treat today. I'm Jennifer Brown, as you know, but guess who is with me? I now call this man a dear friend. He is a man of integrity and so much. Um, there's just so much to this man in his knowledge base in his wisdom. He knows of what he speaks with regard to education, but I'm not talking about just traditional schooling, okay? I want to talk about education, and I want to talk about mindset. And this guy has blown my echo chamber wide open, and that is the entire premise of this podcast, is that I have been in this little echo chamber that was informed by a few things and then neatly reinforced by the same institutions, the same news sources, the same um, books I read, the way I was brought up, you name it. And I pretty much thought that was what was, and that was clearly the best route. And that included towards education. But Matt Beaudreau is here and he's blown my paradigm up and I'm grateful because it has changed our family's life. It's changed one of my own children's lives. And I'm grateful for that. So I hope that you hearing from Matt and this conversation today really just causes you to challenge some of your assertions, perhaps challenges some of the paradigms you operate out of that you are absolutely certain are the only way and just that you'd be open to that there's more ways to look at um, education, especially schooling, workforce, responsibility, especially in our young people. And uh, Matt, I'm just so happy you're here. I, that's enough of an introduction. I'm going to have you say hello. And I really would like you to, I, I hate just reading somebody's bio. I can't do it. Uh, anyone can read your bio. It's in the sure. show notes. It's in the episode notes. Okay. <laughs> but I would like you to just share a little bit about you, but also what makes you so passionate about this particular topic today. So kind. Uh, so kind. That, first of all, it's an awesome, awesome intro. I'm sitting here taking notes, like just on so much of what you were saying there too, and just even wanted to unpack too. So super grateful for you as well, my friend, and and um, for for a million different reasons too. So it's it's an absolute, it's an honor and it's a pleasure. Um yeah, I mean, the short and kind of short and dirty of it is uh, been in this education game for a long time. And I always tell people that I say the game very, you know, I use that word game and I use that word very, very intentionally because people have to get, you know, you mentioned kind of the difference between schooling and education. And as far as the business side of things, when we're looking at schooling, it is a game. And I've gotten to see, you know, what Naval Ravikant has or has called a, a unique um, kind of a unique perspective, you know, and, and uh, um, getting to run public schools and I've gotten to run private schools. You know, I've, I've gotten to work at uh, some of the top, you know, college institutions on the planet and, and seen the admissions process, right? Was at Stanford for a long time. And so um, I've got this background in schooling. So I understand the business model there, but I also have worked with you know, Amazon, Google, Netflix, Microsoft, um, Lockheed Martin, Purina, American Eagle, U.S. Air Force, um, you name it. These have been my clients for many, many years. And they bring me in to help them with how do we find good young people? 
how do we retain them? How do we recruit them in the first place? But then how do we get them there? How do we get them to understand how to come in and really hit the ground running within our organization? And how do we work with them? How do we lead them? How do we get them to understand us, right? And it's cool. So I'm helping bridge that uh, generation gap that so many organizations are suffering from. And that has allowed us to come back. And now I own schools and start schools and help people start, you know, we call them schools, but they're not really schools, as you know, um, but it helps inform what we do there. So I know that game inside and out, which is why I'm playing a different game mm-hmm. and helping young people play a different game because I want their life to be a life by their own design, you know, and, and operate in the way things actually work versus what you were alluding to when you were, you know, introing how we've been told things work. Those are not the same. Yeah. Well, and, and so to that point, one of the first things that I thought about was this deeply ingrained mindset. And frankly, it's what we, uh, I was always taught what most of our kids were taught is that you push through school, do well, you go to college and that the key to all success is get that college degree. And one of the things I realized very quickly is I have two children. One is a fits my oldest one fits the traditional school model quite well and thrived in it mm-hmm. and wanted to go into medicine. So it was a natural migration to go mm-hmm. to a four-year school. Yep. My second child who um, is in the school terms, they use the term twice exceptional. What that means is he's a dyslexic learner. It's one of his best strengths yep. and he is a, a very high IQ but he was languishing in a traditional school model. I mean, it was miserable. It was horrible. It was not where he could even come close to thriving. And so to tell my second one, oh yeah, that's the, that's the game plan. If you want to be successful, you've got to push through school, go to college, get the good education, get a good job. It's a load of crap. Um, It's not the case for everybody. So will you talk a little bit more about that? And then I, And is it related to, I I wrote in my notes, the college industrial complex? Yeah. Is that a thing? And the reason I ask is because I was watching a documentary recently and learned about the whole concept behind the prison industrial complex. Right. And it was scary as hell, my friend, because it was very similar. Very much so. Those, so will you yeah. will you talk about that? Yeah, that man. that just totally blew me open. So, are you are you kidding? I mean, systemically speaking, if you look at the systems of of K through twelve and 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 college and the way the system is set up, there is no more there is no system that is more akin to than the prison system in our country. It just is. It's the 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 parallels are uncanny, um, and it's not accidental. And that's the thing people, and I get, you know, I don't like going down this rabbit hole too far because people say, oh, it's, you know, conspiratorial. No, it's not accidental. It's not conspiratorial. It's not accidental that it looks like this. So, you know, one of the things you mentioned about your, your oldest saying, hey, look, she was able to fit the model, right? Thriving in that people can thrive in that system because they're going to thrive in it. They'll thrive be- in spite of, not because of. Right. Like it was going to be somebody that was going to thrive in general. I thrive now. I've got my straight A's all through school. But all that shows that you're is that you're good at understanding how to play school. Yeah. 
That's yes. really, there's not, that doesn't give you transferable skills. Being good at algebra two, being good at trigonometry isn't necessarily a transferable skill into the real world. And in 95% of the cases, it's not useful at all. Right. And yeah. so, um, you know, what you're essentially talking about is the religion of schooling. We've been taught to believe that school as it stands, the focus on academia is going to produce all of the things that we want for our young people. If I ask parents, what do you want for your young people? God, I want them to learn how to be happy. I want them to know who they are. I want them to be resilient. I want them to be self-confident. I want them to be self-aware. I want them to be able to design, you know, their life going forward. I want, you know, this, 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 and this. You bet. And it's going to be universally like that's what it's going to be. They'll never say, I want them to be, you know, I want them to, to get an A in trig. They won't say those things. But the assumption, the underlying assumption is exactly what you were saying. In order for that to happen, well, I've got to get good grades and go to college. Those two things are not, they're not aligned. They're not aligned at all. And so that's what we're really trying to point out is, is that um, we no longer are operating within a system that transfers into the real world application it's not it's not getting us a population that's capable of civil discourse that understands who they are what they have to offer the world that's you know people that are adaptable to be able to learn what is now necessarily unlearn what is no longer necessary we're not creating that in the traditional school and that is by design so I want to make clear, you, neither you nor I are anti-educator, anti-teacher. Heck, you've not spent at all. Not <laughs> much of your life there. So I, I want to make clear to everybody, and I know if any of you have followed Matt in any other format, he makes that very clear, but I want to make it clear as well, both yep. from my perspective and his. And in fact, shameless plug, you need to see his TEDx talk. Um, it was dated November 7th. You can find it on the TED YouTube channel. It's called The Great Reset, and it's Matt Baudreau, and you, you need to listen to it. And one of the things he points out is he has high respect for educators. And um, so what's, what is the, what's the problem or the trap that even these great educators who are dedicated, who love kids, who, who want to ignite their minds? I, I can think of some educators right now that they are amazing and they're For all sure. about um, one of them's a history teacher in high school. And he's like, we need to learn history so we aren't doomed to repeat it, et cetera. And For he loves sure. to ignite their minds and have them critically think and ask right questions and that are countercultural. And I love that, but I feel like he's in a system that um, doesn't even showcase his gifts as an educator, yeah. let alone what the kids need. So what the kids need talk right. about that. So what you're talking about is you said that you said the right word. It's the system, right? Systemically speaking, if I wanted to create a population that was uh, against the ability or was trained out of being able to think critically, if I wanted to train a population that 
um, would be more likely to grasp a hold of there's always an authority figure that I need to listen to. And that authority figure is always going to take care of me. It's not always my responsibility. Somebody else needs to be able to take care of me. Um, I'm, I need to be told what to do. I need to be told when to do it. If I was going to create a population that was just wanting to be dependent upon somebody else, I would do it in the exact same fashion as we've got school right now. Wow. The teachers that go into, and I've got so much, again, I came out of that as well. I was a public school teacher. I was a public school administrator. I worked in private institutions that mimic the public. So I've got nothing but respect because the vast majority of those teachers go in and want to do exactly what you say. They actually love the young people. They want to empower those young people. The problem is when you come into traditional school environment, you get your credential, you are taught to perpetuate a system. You are not taught to unleash the genius that's inherent in all of these young people. Genius is as common as dirt. John Taylor Gatto said that, and I've come to know that that is absolutely true. Everybody has a particular area of genius. The job of education, Seth Godin says, well, what is education for? That's the fundamental question. The job of education is to simply unleash that genius, right? Unlock that genius potential. What does that person have to bring to the world that is special, that is unique? And it's going to be a combination of experiences, their inherent loves, desires, and things that they are naturally intelligent in and gifted in, right? You, we're supposed to find that as much as possible. Unlock that, open all the doors, and then unleash them on the world. And then they're going to go, you know, be personally responsible for making that happen. That's what education's for. School says... No, no, you have to learn this very, very narrow set of skills. Those skills aren't necessarily transferable anywhere else other than staying within this system. You've got to learn them at the same time as everybody else, at the exact same pace as everybody else. And if you don't, we're going to tell you something is wrong with you. We're going to break you down even further until you acquiesce and do exactly what we say when you say to do it. That is the system that is designed. So when you have a phenomenal person like that history teacher you are talking about who has gifts himself and who wants to unlock all of that humanity from these young people, he is being put in this system that says, no, no, you have to, sh you have to say this at this time and they need to be on board with regurgitating that. It's a systemic issue that they're put in. That's why 50% of teachers in California leave after three years right now, my That's friend. That's really the statistic? That is really the statistic. And it's not because they don't love the kids, because they do. That's why they went there. They have the altruistic, you know, they have that heart for those kids, but they go in and they realize how constricting that system has always been to some extreme, but it is becoming more and more restricted as we move forward. So they, so they can't handle that. Right. They want, they, they end up having to leave. And I, you know, I had a, um, I was given a, a talk to about 2,500 educators in Orlando a couple of years ago. And I got to sit down with a, a handful of them that had won these awards. It's a national organization, um, Project Lead the Way, and they're doing amazing things. I got to sit down with some of the award winners. And one of the administrators um, from Oklahoma says, well, How do we change this system? And I said, Well, it's like, it's like asking, How do you change the Vatican? <laughs> you won't. You won't. You can't. You're not going to change something that is so rooted in tradition and money and politics. And there's so much there. You can have phenomenal people who I'm not Catholic. And I, if anybody's listening is Catholic, that is, that's great. 
That's fantastic. Um, I disagree with the premise of Catholicism and, and some of that practice right up front, right? So systemically, I'm not going to get on board. It doesn't mean I hate Catholic people or don't think there is some merit to some of the things that they believe and doesn't mean I don't agree with some of the things because I do. It's the same thing with teachers in this system. I love them. I agree with some of it, but systemically speaking, I don't, I disagree with the premise from the get-go, which is why I just can't get on board with, with people going there. So then that makes me ask the question, is there, what, what is the solution? And I I know it's not a tidy, neat solution. We cannot uproot the entire school system right now, but what we do is we provide other options. Is that the only answer here? And is there, do you see it possible that our school system in the United States of America can shift? Um, no, it will not be. And it's because of the, it's because of the money power politics um, that are involved. Schools are woven into, you know, let's think about this. If, um, if all of a sudden Amazon, 90% of goods sold in America came through Amazon, 92% of the goods sold in in America came through Amazon, people would be losing their mind, right? We'd be going, oh my gosh, what a monopoly. We've got to avoid that monopoly. Amazon arguably is already, you know, could be considered maybe that, right? But you start going, hold on, 92% of of all goods sold has to come through Amazon. That's a monopoly. That's dangerous. We need to eliminate that. Well, 92% of our population has come through public schools too. That's a huge monopoly, right? So we are training our population to buy into the religion of schooling, even though intellectually we can walk people through how it's not systemically relevant to the majority of the workforce. It's not creating the mindsets we need, all those things we were talking about, right? So, but there is so much money. There are so many political ties. Um, We will not eliminate public schooling. And I'm not against public education, I'm against public schooling. Again, it's the system that we're putting people in. I'm not against an educated population. My argument is that school is not creating an educated population. It's creating a schooled population. So no, I do not believe we will ever eliminate it. So the options are, you know, really one, creating alternatives, which is, you know, what we are what we are doing with, with the Acton Academy schools globally is we are creating something we feel like is a provably um, more effective vehicle for educating the population. And the, and we're not the only, there's, you know, I'm a big fan of Prenda. Um, Agile Learning Centers are doing a great job. Sudbury's could be great for some people. So, I mean, there's other options out there and I'm not, you know, religious about that. I, I think there's a lot of good alternatives. So creating those alternatives is one thing. The employers of the world, being more vocal about the fact that they don't necessarily care if somebody has a college degree will help. And I say that from the standpoint of talking to CEOs and HR leaders in these organizations across the globe. They are very open a lot of times behind closed doors, but they're very open about the fact, man, I don't care. It's a great filtering mechanism. I don't want to sift through a hundred resumes. So if I've got those hundred resumes and I don't have time to sift through them, but I've got a filtering system where I can say, okay, well, 27 of them have college degrees. That allows me to throw 73 of them to the side. It just shortens my job, right? 
even though some of the, they just threw to the side may actually be the best candidate. Right. It's a filtering mechanism. Yeah. Right. So, but they're honest. If somebody can come in and show, Hey, I've got the skill set. I've got, you know, I'm in full agreement with your company mission, with your values. I would get along with that team and and I'm going to come in and work harder than everybody else and come in with this skill set. They don't care if they've got the degree there. So I need them to be more open about saying those things. Um, and that'll, that'll help. And a big part of it too, is the parents getting parents to parent at home, not be an overlord, not be absentee. It's somewhere in between where I've got high expectations for you and I'm going to maintain the accountability there. And there's going to be consistency in that. I'm going to be in your life, but I'm going to expect you to rise to the occasion, right? Some of these traditional values, if we can have parents that will do that, all of those things are going to help. Um, but no, we will not eliminate government schools. Okay. But back to what you said about large organizations who use the filtration process. And so immediately take the 23 with a college education and the 77 and push those to the side. Right. How on earth does that person who's a genius, who's got the match, ever even make it in the door to show and have that conversation. If we look at the processes, if they never make it past the filter. Yeah. Right. What? That's a, it's a really good question. Cause then you said, cause you start to think like, okay, how do I get past this filter? If I don't have that one, you know, key component. So the reality is you can avoid that filter altogether. So I've got, I just posted something on our mentorship program um, this past weekend. We had a 15-year-old um, who was just hired uh, for a, a job in financial services. He has no background in financial services. He's 15. He's not even really old enough to take on the majority of the, the, the uh, positions there. But he's being hired because they want him and they want when he turns 18 to be able to get him the licenses that he needs so that he can start working there. And that's not the first time we've ever had that in our mentorship program or in our schools because we avoid that altogether. When you have a young person who is willing to take on projects and challenges that are building their work ethic, their self-esteem, their character, they're able to show that they are interesting. They're able to show that they can um, learn. They're willing to learn. They're willing to adapt. They're willing to work hard. They're willing to come early, stay late, all of those things. And you can teach them at an early age to connect directly with decision makers hiring managers, CEOs, and it's easier to do than people think. They can start to build out a network and a digital portfolio of work that will allow them to bypass those traditional filters. They're able to go to employers and go, hey, by the way, one, you maybe you already know me because I've already reached out at a young age. Two, here's a digital portfolio of my work, whether you know me or not. So you're looking for this specific skill set. Here are some concrete examples of the businesses I've run at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. I've owned and operated these businesses. Here's that skill set. It's transferable. You can see my work. Here's a video of me telling you about this. You can see who I am. Go take a look at my social media. My social media is not just for being silly and posting, you know, Minecraft videos or whatever, or posting a funny TikTok. It's a portfolio of my work. It's a brand. It's a reputation. It's a you start doing those things, you bypass those filters altogether. Wow. And that's okay. what we're teaching young people how to be able to do. 
I love that. I want to take a quick break and then we will come right back. And I want to hear more about how you're teaching young people to do that, A. But I also want to ask you to relay a little bit or I want to hear the real story and experience, or maybe there's a couple that resonated in your soul that you you made a shift at some point. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think you've always thought and believed and understood right. this. You probably had your own version of an echo chamber once upon a time. Yes, Was there a story or an experience that you had uh, that made a shift for you? Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that. So we'll be right back. this conversation, but I, I have to be honest, Matt, some of it just, uh, it still, uh, rubs against me in the wrong way <laughs> and makes me struggle. And, and that just goes to show when, you know, cause you feel like, or at least this is me. I feel like by saying that I now have this perspective, I am then discounting the beautiful educators I experience, or I'm discounting the hard work and that's, that's been, that's, that's out there. Yeah. yeah. I, I, mean, I understand that. You know I, what I mean? I, I do, man. I totally understand it. And that's why I try to give people the, um, I try to give them the parallel to another system, right? I try to use, and I use religion because that's the one that's easy, most easily comprehended. I think by, by most people, mm-hmm. um, are you a Muslim? No, I'm not. Okay. But does that mean you don't like Muslim people? Does that oh, mean that you Exactly. Yes. Right. No, I love same, them. You know, it's that same it's that same thing, right? You yeah. don't adhere to a specific premise. Yeah. And so people and even the people who lead in in the nation of Islam or people who lead the specific, you know, the imams who who lead in that religion. Um I don't have the same starting premise as them. I don't have the same starting belief as that human, but I do understand that um, there's going to be a lot of things that I very much agree with as well as things that I disagree with. I don't agree with the overall system. So it is not a part of my life. If somebody came to me and said, Hey, what religion would I point them towards Islam? I would not, but it doesn't mean I don't highly respect them have they have every right to their like you know what i mean so like yeah. it's that it's that whole thing and it's the same thing i come out of this system and i've got my own journey on that which is why i am very adamant about believing it is not the system that we need right but it doesn't mean i discount the wonderful humans who are in it it doesn't mean i discount the fact that so many of them are such good people i would agree with them on a million different things um you know there's just going to be certain ways we disagree so that's the best way i can describe it you know and i and i think that usually gets people to understand it a little better what 
When did you make this shift and how did that come about? Um, you know, my own journey of, of, uh, listening to myself and self-awareness, you know, I think we all go through this whole growth perspective of, and, and we've, we've been taught when trained, I think we'd live in fear. And I think it's a natural human DNA thing too. And a lot of that fear is what do other people think about me? Right. And kind of that whole perspective, right. And of course I, I had to work myself through that, um, you know, as well. And I didn't want people to think wrong. So my parents really wanted me to get good grades, man, I'm going to get good grades. You know, I wanted to make sure I was pleasing other people. And I always had internally, um, kind of this dialogue going on, but I still wanted to do quote unquote, the right thing. So that people would see me as the guy that was doing the right stuff. So, totally. um, you know, I came out of high school and I had straight A's all through school, kindergarten through 12th grade, but I had learned very early on how to play the game. Um, I knew that I didn't actually know anything, right? I got done with trigonometry, got my A the next year I went to calculus but if I had to go back and do that trigonometry class again, I would have failed it. Wow. Right? I know how to play the game in order to get my A when I needed it. I didn't absorb any of it. And I knew that. But I also knew that, hey, what was important to me is I'm going to play the game. I'm going to get my grades, right? So I graduate from high school and I went, I have, like, I don't know anything. I couldn't get it. I mean, I've got little jobs here and there, but I don't have anything to offer the world. I guess I'll go to college because college is where I'm going to figure this all out. So I go to college. I got straight A's all through college. Mm -hmm. Again, I know how to play the game of school. So I got straight A's. Um, and I had a job offer at the Secret Service, but I ended up turning that down coming out of college. Um, but I turned it down right before I graduated. So now I graduated. I don't have a, I, I have no job. I have no idea where I'm going to go. Wait a second. I thought in college I was supposed to figure out who I was, what I was going to do with my life, and I had this like existential crisis at 22, <laughs> going, "I'm supposed to know everything that I'm doing from here on out, and I have no idea. Yeah. I don't have any skills that I think I'm really, really good at. I don't have a direction." And it was like, "Oh my God, I should have this figured out by now." You know, I look at 22, and you're like, "I'm a 22 year old's a baby," <laughs> you know. But then I'm like, "Oh my gosh." Yeah. So one small job here and there leads to another. And I end up at Stanford university a couple of years later and I'm going, okay, well, these, all these smart kids are probably going to have, this is the internal dialogue. I'm like, they're probably going to have a different experience than me because they're so dang smart. And I found that it was, I've got all these young people who, yeah, they're really smart at OCHEM, but they didn't understand. I mean, you know, they're coming in. I'm like, okay, just write a check for this amount. I don't know how to write a check. Okay. Cool. So I'm having to teach you how to write a check. Um, I'm watch, uh, literally watching them, you know, riding their bikes on campus, talking to each other and running into the back of a parked vehicle um, <laughs> more than once. Uh, <laughs> right. Sorry. So, <laughs> so, um, and I'm having conversations with, you know, these young people and they're like, I'm so stressed because I have to get all of these good grades and their mental, um, you know, capacity for handling any kind of stress, like the resilience is just not there. They were some of the most fragile human beings. Um, I'm listening to professors that I'm working with who are teaching classes on how to run a business. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what are the businesses you've run? I've actually never run a business. Well, why are you teaching it? Why are you teaching? Why are you I wouldn't go to a financial advisor that's never actually made any money. Like, why are you? So I have these little conversations where I'm in my head where I'm seeing these disconnects, right? Yeah. So 
I'm seeing all this stuff there. I'm learning about how to get into Stanford in the first place, which by the way, is not the meritocracy people think that it is. That goes back to that game. So I'm sitting here, you know, there's all these internal conflicts of like, oh my gosh, what, something is wrong with the education system if this is what's going on, because this is not a group of people that I, I see are have their stuff together. So I'm gonna go into public ed. It was very early on in public ed where I'm teaching a high risk youth and I'm helping a young man really try to navigate how to stop selling drugs from his home. Um, and his parents are telling him he needs to do this. Uh, and I'm helping him navigate how to get out of this gang environment. But I'm being told, no, he needs algebra. And I'm like, nope, that's not what this guy needs. No, no, that's what he needs because we need that for our funding. Man, okay, this is a real big disconnect, right, in this mm -hmm. game. So for me, it was a series of these events. Um, and it was right about, you know, as I'm working with these young people and I go in, I went in and got my administrative credential, which again was more about funding. It was more about government. It was more about politics than it was human beings. And I'm going, something is not right. And then I started reading books by John Taylor Gatto, who really just kind of put a why behind the system. This is why the system is created. This is what the system will produce. And it was just a light bulb moment for me. It was all the things, these little conversations that I'd already been having. I just went, yeah. oh, it's supposed to be this way. And that's not about developing human beings. Okay, cool. Well, if I'm going to maintain my integrity, knowing what I know, I can't be a part of this system when I feel like I'm actually not able to help young people. Yeah, it was that for me. And so it was like, okay, well, how do I help? And so then there was more years of the search and the journey of like, what do I think education should look like? Yeah. Um, you know, that, that eventually brought me to where I am now, but it was that series of events that created that shift for me. Yeah. And then that leads me to the Acton Academies, for example, mm -hmm. which uh, you were very much a part of. Mm -hmm. How does that, in a basic nutshell, how do they answer to everything you just talked about? Yeah, it's more, you know, the Socratic method that we employ is about teaching somebody how to think, not what to think. Mm. The projects um, that they are taking on and the fact that they've got to set their own academic goals, they've got to take personal responsibility for their life quickly. Mm -hmm. They've got to set their goals they're going to be thrust into projects with real world outcomes and they're going to have to collaborate with other human beings who may or may not agree with what they want to do. That's real world transferable. The content um, isn't as relevant as the process, right? We have rules of engagement around our Socratic conversations that they have. Those rules of engagement allow them to have high level conversations about really hard topics because they stick to the process and the system. Yeah, It allows the content and to be in it, you know, the best conversation I heard about the George Floyd situation was from our mm -hmm. middle school students. Wow. And they were definitely divided on their mm -hmm. thoughts, but they did so in such a professional and cordial manner. The civil discourse that was exemplified was just phenomenal because they stuck to the rules of engagement, right? So we're focused on processes and experiences that build self-confidence because I've actually had to do something kind of hard that really yeah. challenged me and kind of made me mad. Yeah. Um, I've had to gain some self-awareness because I've tried a bunch of these things and I find out what kind of things I really like, what kind of things I don't like just as important. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I had to build resilience because this was hard and I had a deadline and a timeline and there were people looking at me and I had to, I had to overcome all these. So we're building those things. Parents say they want based on implementing those kinds of systems. Um, and so that, you know, in a nutshell is, is why it just, it prepares the child for the road rather than the road for the child. And it's a right. vastly different take on it. Well, and so to your point, the um, parents there, I keep saying that my son is practically raising me, especially over these last couple of years yeah. and all that he's learned and um, his wisdom. Yes. And I think there, and I don't know if this is intentional, but you at Acton, we as parents, because I have a child there yep. who is now 17, yep. but um, we're asked to really not be heavily involved. We're off. encouraged to yep. let our kids advocate yep. for themselves, let our kids get in there. And, and I love it because it, it, my, my sister-in-law lives in Denmark and we talk about schooling mm. in Denmark yeah. all the time. And they have a term there. You've probably heard of it. It's called the curling parent. And it's yep. that parent who tries to sweep away, go before the kids, sweep away all obstacles so that the kid can go through life smooth. And what I feel like Acting kind of invites the obstacles. Um, they're not there to torture <laughs> our kids, but they're like, <laughs> bring, <laughs> but bring in the obstacles, bring in the hard conversations. Totally. I, as, as a parent have been far too protective of my kids and that has not served them to become competent adults. Right. We try to protect our kids. And there are some things that, yes, there's certain subject matter. You need to be mindful of an sure. age of a kid and their sensibilities, of sure. course. But I feel like, you know, no, we're raising kids. And, and, and you and I were talking before we started recording today. I mean, even right down to yesterday, my son, I we went somewhere and I was going to purchase something. He goes, no, um, I don't want you purchasing that. And then we somehow got on the subject of that. I already provide too much for him um, with food and a house and a car to drive, you know, it's not fancy, but it's got insurance. You know what yeah, I mean? Right. And he feels like that's just wrong that he's not providing for himself at 17. And I, I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, he feels like right. he should have a job and be taking care of himself as a man at this yep. point. I'm like, dude, go right on. I'm, I'm there. Go for it. So that's awesome. awesome. You, it's if you can afford it and have a job and you can afford an apartment and and, and cool. right now, and right now he can't, but he's right. got the mindset that he wants to, which means he's going to figure it out. He is. And I love that. But you said something about the, what was the, uh, yeah. a poll you did about the age yeah. of 30. Will you just talk about that? Cause that was yeah, psycho for yeah. sure. And, but before I even do, I want to give you kudos as that, because you are at that mom. Right. And I, and I can speak very specifically to your son on one of the hardest um, things we did last year with our launch pad is what we call our high school was the King George experiment. And we want them to understand how history does repeat himself. And so we have this whole experiment about um, how we slowly um, take away their freedoms and we bait some of the people there to that, you know, they, some of the students will earn more kind of rights than others if they'll just acquiesce to, to tyranny. Right. And so we, we put them in a really, we start stripping away those freedoms and we get them really upset, genuinely upset. Oh. Your son in general was 
pissed. I mean, he yeah. came, he came to, but you let him advocate for himself. And mm-hmm. he came to us and was like, this is, gar-, you know, and it's on purpose, right? They don't understand at first what we are doing. Right. Um, we don't, it's not like we tell them, Hey, this is going to be a fun little game. And we're going to, no, we surprise them with us and it's tyrannical. And he was pissed and he was yeah. like, I'm out of here. If this is going to continue, this is not what I signed up for. Right. And he had to go through that process. Now, if you ask him, he comes out and goes, that's one of the most valuable processes I've ever gone through. Right. Yeah. And you allowed him to go through that. You didn't save him. So kudos to you on that. And that's part of developing that, that character. Um, yeah. One of the statistics that we're talking about. So, you know, as I worked with all these fortune 500s, I worked with a research firm out of Texas. Um, it was a group of PhDs and they, and they do nothing but um, study generational trends and how those trends play out in various industries, various parts of the country, whatever. One of the big polls that we did was we asked uh, it was the millennial generation specifically, but that's goes from, we classified that as like from 1977 up through like 1995, right? Cause mm-hmm. we're looking at behaviors. We said, at what age do you become an adult? And we qualified it by saying adult means you've got to have a job. Doesn't even need to be full-time just needs to be a job. Part-time you can drive for Uber. Doesn't matter. Part-time job. You got to have a job. You got to pay for your own bills and you can't live at home. At what age? Do those three things happen far and away? The number one response was 30 years old. You're talking 83 million people in our country that are in that, just in that, uh, that generational subset, 83 million. Number one answer far and away is 30 before you take care of all of your responsibilities on your own. That's an interesting shift. It did not used to be that way where people thought that way. You know, we, the, the students read do hard things, which talks about the fact that the word teenager didn't even exist in our country until the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, 13, congratulations, you're an adult, like get a job. You know, you might be getting married here in the next few years, fathering children. You might be a surveyor living out on the land. You might be going into war, right? Yeah. We had expectations, and people rose. We didn't, our DNA hasn't changed in the last 80 years. Our expectations of what young people are capable of has changed. Yes, yes, yes. Well, and that, so is that what you see? What can we learn as parents, Mm. whether it's, you know, there's all the cute terms, curling parent, parachute parent, a helicopter parent, blah, 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 blah. The bottom line is if there's anything you have kids, um, you also deal with parents a lot. Yep. Yep. What, what's the biggest and best thing by and large we can do to raise uh, independent, solid contributing members to the world and, and, but independent thinkers and critical thinkers and people that can think out of the box. What do you think on that? You've got to be, so all of this requires consistency. None of it is easy, but it is very, very simple. Um, Those are two very different things. And simplicity lies in the consistency of, of, of doing this. So I tell parents one, get out of your fear bubble because you're trained to believe that everything is going to hurt your kids, right? Mm-hmm. That's not an accident. It's, you know, you talk, you know, you look at the media and it's going to tell you that if your kid goes outside to play in the front yard, he or she is going to be kidnapped in a heartbeat, right? Statistically yeah. speaking, this is the lowest um, 
percentage wise that there's any kind of danger like that that's ever been. They are statistically less likely to be kidnapped now than when you and I grew up. You that is so crazy because everything in my brain goes, there's no way. There's no way. No way. There's no way because we perpetuate it because we talk about the, tra- and I'm not saying, tra- I'm not discounting trafficking is an issue, yeah. major issue. Like, and I, God bless those people that are out there fighting for that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm in full support and I know it is a massive issue. Yeah. Statistically speaking, we're safer now than we were 30 years ago, which is bananas yeah. to think of, right? So getting out of, of the fear-based mindset, I'm not saying be negligent. I'm just saying, stop being afraid first. Then parents need to lead by example. One of the things I always say, kids will do what you do before they do what you say. Lead by example. Be that person who is speaking honorably, who is acting honorably, who is living your own journey. You're pushing your own growth mindset and your own goals and dreams. You are doing that by example, right? That's, that is, is first and foremost. Then have high expectations for that young person. Yeah. Have high expectations. Believe in them and, and let them know, hey, I believe in you and I'm going to hold the expectations high. You're going to have responsibilities and as much responsibility as you can shoulder, as early as you can shoulder it. You want to have a, you want to, you know, take care of your school stuff, take care of your school stuff. You want to have a part-time job? Yeah, you should have a part-time job as well. You want to have responsibilities at home? You should have responsibilities at home. And all of those responsibilities, the more responsibility you'll tackle, the more freedom I will give you. Those two things are linked. You teach them that early, have them shoulder those responsibilities early. And then the last part of it that parents still miss is you need to hold them accountable and you need to allow them to hold you accountable as well. Oh, yeah. Because then they believe it. Then they believe you because they are allowed to, they shoulder responsibility, you shoulder responsibility. You hold them accountable. They're able to hold you accountable. They believe everything you're saying because you are making sure that you are staying in that line too. We've got 11 rules up in our house and my kids have every right to say, hey dad, rule number six says no complaining, fix it. It sounds like you're complaining right now. What are you gonna do to solve your problem? And I I have to go, you are right. Let me think through this. Not, hey, you be quiet. I'm the boss. You do this because I say, you know, know, do as I say, not as I do. That's horse. That's crap. Totally. You do do it too. And allow them to see you do it. Allow them to see you mess up, but allow them to hold you accountable, you know, to, to those rules too. You do those things. I promise you, you will have happy and healthy and productive young people because happiness in and of itself is never a goal, but being productive, living with purpose, the byproduct of that ends up being a happy human being. Oh, that, you know, that makes so much sense because I I don't know if you know this, but about six weeks ago, I made the decision to quit drinking. Good for and you. Uh, thank you. Uh, and I just decided this no longer serves me. Um, yep. It's getting me in the way. It's hindering yep. me going next level. And yep. it's been 35 years, a freaking love affair. Yeah. And I went, this is no longer serving me. And you. my kids both said, oh, okay. And, and I've been taking steps to make sure that this is not, this was not a flippant, easy decision for me. Yeah. It, it's very much an ingrained pattern in my life. Yep. It was not a easy thing. Yeah. And so I've been doing a lot of things to, um, 
to to develop new habit patterns and replace old habit patterns and you name it, all kinds of recovery meetings, et cetera. And my kids both said, well, mom, if we see you decide to have a glass of wine, can we call you on it? And I said, oh, 100%. Absolutely, because I've just told you that that yep. is something that I, I believe right. I'm meant to just convert to being a non-drinker. Just right. that's where I'm at for me in this time in my life. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, please hold me accountable. And it was my son who was like, okay, mom, I totally support you. I'll help you, you know, pack up the wine and give it away as Christmas gifts. I gave away yeah. some damn good wine, Baudreau. Yeah. You should, I should have been sending some <laughs> your way. That's awesome. Good for you. <laughs> so many people scored. Um, Dang good stuff. It, I, I, I shed some tears. I'm not lying. But anyway, yeah. my son was like, I'm right here, mom. Okay, I'll totally let's do this. You, that you're operating out of your integrity. I'll support you. Let's pack it up. Yeah. He, you know, he takes pictures of my wine rack to post on Facebook Marketplace. My daughter's asking me, okay, you know, so I can call, I can check in with you, see how you're doing, see if you've changed your mind. If you, I'm like, yes. So, okay, so back to that point. You know, even the simplest things, whether it's how we're driving on the road and the way we're behaving, you know, my son had as well, I'm, I'm not going to keep talking about my kids because they don't, they don't actually don't love that I talk about them in public all the time. They're both really private individuals, but it's interesting to see. Yeah, we have to hold the standard we're, we're setting. That's right. For them, I mean, that is insane. And so what that tells me, so back to, I was thinking what's haunting me and what's really bothering me through this whole conversation is that 92% yeah. that are in, um, let's say, a school yep. and not having the a different experience. And yes. again, not that that's bad, but then what is that creating yeah. um, in a culture Right. In this country, in the yep. world. Yep. And at, is there and these standards, you know what I'm saying? I, I, yes. I'm having trouble articulating, I, I but I think it. you know. I do get it. It it breaks my heart too. Right. And it's it um that is that is the part of me. That's that's why I'm so um I'm so willing to stand in there. I get a lot of uh I got a lot of people angry at me all the time because I speak out against the government schools. Right. And, and I get it. Like I, I totally get it. I get a lot of people mad at me, including some of my old teachers and that only comment on anything on my, you know, Facebook when I say something, you know, against government schools, they don't want any of the context of the fact that I'm very supportive of those people. Like that doesn't matter. It's like, Nope, I'm going to attack it. And I get it. And I will stand in the gap for that because I believe so wholeheartedly in creating that separate experience. Um, because, Look, we got that 92%. So what is it creating? Well, again, it is not the sole responsibility of government schools to create the population we need. But with that 92%, you've got to understand how powerful it is. We don't have a population that's capable of having a conversation with other people who they disagree with. We're not seeing that. We're not seeing, we, we are so divided. We are more divided now. And there's, again, Social media plays into it. The yeah. media plays into it. Parenting yeah. trends play into it. All of those things play into it. But by gosh, if you've got 92% of the population that's going to take 12 years to go through a public institution, should we not be combating this? No, it's actually perpetuating it. We're making it worse. 
we're teaching we're actually actively teaching division of our population. We're teaching a victimhood mentality. We are teaching one right, one wrong in some ways and no right and wrong in other ways. We are confusing our population and we are teaching that if somebody disagrees with you, that person is likely going to be the enemy. Um, and by the way, come, you know, the government will take care. Like we are teaching these things. Uh, and it, it it's also creating that population that is employing me now because I get to go work with these companies who are going, hey, we've got these young people that know how to play school, but it doesn't transfer over here. I need you to help trans, you know, be a translator at this point. Like those are the things that it is creating, um, which is why I'm so adamant against creating something else. Well, then, then, you know, where I see more of the answer is what we were talking about earlier is the standard then as parents, that's where it can start. Yes. So, and I see that I see plenty of um, kids who are in a standard public school who have parents who subscribe to the exact mindset you're talking about, Correct. right? Yep. About integrity and I hold you to yes. a higher expectation and I'm not going to make it easy on you. And in fact, I expect you to call me out just as easily right. on my integrity. Right. And maybe that's where it starts is, yeah. is Definitely. continually having conversations like this that call all of us, every human being, whether you parent or not, it has influence. We're all leaders because we have influence, right? right? So then it's about calling all of us to that higher standard that will in turn influence the kids coming up. Yep. And that may in turn shift some of the mindsets in some of the schools, because you'll see it in the teachers and the kids and the parents and the mm -hmm. parents who are involved in the PTA, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe that's where that swell, that mindset, that culture shift could happen. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I choose, I choose to be optimistic because if not, I'll just For lay sure. down and cry and go back of to course. wine drinking. Totally. totally. <laughs> just lay yes. in my bed. Totally. Right. And so there's got to be, a, a possibility with that, you know, that's, it is the only answer. <laughs> it is the only answer. And again, it's such a multifaceted thing. We need, you know, like it is, it's such a multifaceted thing, but at the root of it, like I said, you know, things can be very complex, um, but it's at the, at the pure foundational level, it is simple. And it's those have, you know, you're talking about changing your pattern of habits. That's it. We need to change our habits as a society, which in my head starts with the individuals. A society is made up of individuals. If each individual is kind of like Jordan Peterson says, start with cleaning your own room before you want to give the world advice, right? If each person mm -hmm. wants to just go into their individuals, what, what can I do to be the best possible human, to raise the best possible humans, to impact others around me in the most optimistic, positive way, to hold them to a higher standard, to believe in them, to pour into them, to keep things in that regard. If each individual would do that, then the collective as a whole is going to benefit. I mean, that is it. Oh, thank you, my friend. I... Guys, he, he, there's so many ways you can hear more from Matt. Uh, he has a great podcast. It's called The Essential 11. Uh, Matt, what else? I mean, we're going to put Apogee. We're going to put all of your your 
websites and all of the ways people can find you on Instagram, guys, he's under Matt Bodreau, B-E-A-U-D-R-E-A-U. And you know me, I'm at Being Real Jen. And, and we always ask, hey, chime in. This is a place. I say it every podcast, every week. This is a place for real conversations, for civil discourse, for a fleshing out. It is absolutely cool and welcome that we don't all perfectly agree. If if I wanted to agree with every single, I'd be right back in the echo chamber. That's the whole point is that we talk to people who have a different lived experience and a different worldview, maybe a different belief system than we do. And by doing so, we can expand our paradigm and God willing, shift it where necessary. That's yeah. it. That's and it. so I just invite you to check in with us on Instagram and go and dig in to some of this stuff and ask questions and let's, let's stay connected. Mm-hmm. Please remain in this conversation with us. And Matt, I'm grateful to you for being here and just taking the time. I know you've got a crazy schedule and I always appreciate your time, my friend. Uh, absolute pleasure. Love what you're yeah. doing. Love who you are and, and your family. And you guys are a big part of my life too. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for you as well. So anything I can ever do um, and for the listeners as well, man, I, it is, it is my honor to do so. Matt, thanks, Matt. Thanks, ma'am. We will see you all next week. Please keep speaking. It matters, but please keep listening for real. It really, really matters greatly and is what changes things. See you next time. Listen for Real is produced in Rockland, California, and is edited and mixed with the help of Marky B. Our music, entitled Zero, is created and performed by the amazing Shannon Curtis. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and we will see you next time.